Welcome to Running Up the Score. I am Alex Kennedy. This is my new show that airs every Tuesday and Friday. We talk all things sports, NBA, NFL. Today I'm joined by one of the best NBA reporters in the business. He works for The Athletic. He is Sam Amick. Sam, how you doing? Alex Kennedy, what's up, man? Great to see you. Been a long time. We just had a little fun catching up off the air. Uh, I'm well. I'm telling neighbors and friends right now that I'm in that, like, my own training camp mode of, you know, off season was nice. Then we hit this stretch where I was definitely ready to get back to work. It was way too quiet around the house. And now about a week in, it's like, all right, I don't have my legs underneath me. Like, had a game last night, Warriors-Kings. You know, as you know, I live near Sacramento. Uh, Kings Jazz tonight, tomorrow, I didn't mention this part off air, tomorrow it's like I didn't really want to do a back-to-back-to-back this early, but when Wemby's coming to town and, and yeah, he's in dude. San Francisco tomorrow, I probably got to make that drive. So we're we're back at it, man. It's busy, but it's fun. Yeah, there's only so much analysis uh, and talking about, you know, off-season moves that can kind of happen. Right. And then eventually you just have to have games that you can react to and break down. So always go when the games start back up. Uh, And the NBA season is right around the corner. So very exciting times. Let's start with Wemby since you brought him up. I want to talk about this rookie class and just the hype around Victor Ebanyama. It it feels totally deserved. Uh, You talk to people in this camp and I know Tim Martin, who's been trading him for years, talks about not only to see this freak athlete with crazy length and can kind of do everything, but talks about just his work ethic and his high basketball IQ. It seems like he kind of checks every single box and he's an NBA executive's dream. What are your thoughts on on Wemby and then this rookie class as a whole? No, he's going to be a lot of fun. We're already seeing that. The, the class itself is going to be, I think, fantastic. Um, on, on my pod earlier today, actually, Alex, we were breaking down the rookie class. And, and one of the guys, I think it was Fred Katz, brought up the comparison to the, uh, oh man, why am I blanking now? Ben Simmons and Donovan Mitchell rookie of the year race. Meaning, oh, yeah. so, you know, you yeah, got Chet Holmgren be. because of the injury you know, now being part of this group. Uh, and, and we saw when they faced off recently that that was going to be a ton of fun. And Chet seems to have a little bit of edge where, you know, he's trying to be that guy to show that, you know, everybody talking about Wimby, what about me? And then he's been really nice in the preseason. Uh, and then with Victor, you know, if you go back to July, uh, Summer League in Vegas, it never gets old getting reminded that, you know, hey, guess what? Summer League doesn't actually matter all that much. And that one debut that looks so disastrous, you know, is now pretty much a forgotten memory, you know, because you see who he can be and and every clip is going viral. And obviously that dunk that had Thomas Bryant, you know, looking extremely confused and and impressed. Um, You know, last night he's having the nutmeg, which for a 7'4 dude is is incredible. So uh, with Scoot Henderson in that mix with, you know, the Thompson brothers, I think the rookie class in general is going to be great. I'm curious, how many legitimate contenders do you think there are this year? Because it seems like there's a ton of parity. Obviously, I, you know, the Nuggets are bringing back most of their core. And I'm a big fan of chemistry, continuity. I think it's one of the most undervalued things in sports. Sure, and I agree. excited about, yeah, the splashy moves and, uh, you know, who wins the offseason. But a team like the Nuggets that uh, has had so much experience together, that's going to be huge when it comes time, you know, to compete for a championship. And they're just so loaded. So a team like Denver, uh, obviously, I think they're one of the favorites, if not the favorite. But I was on a podcast yesterday and we talked about just the Western Conference and how many teams at West are legitimate contenders. And I think you can make the argument for five, six, seven teams. Now, there's obviously tiers and some of it you know, depends on health and things like that. But when you look at the NBA as a whole, how many contenders would you say there are? 
I mean, it depends on where we want to draw the line. If you want the the framing to be that I would be shocked and put a lot of money on, you know, shocked if if a certain team wasn't a contender and put a lot of money on the fact that they're definitely going to be in it and then have a pretty short list, then, you know, it's funny, right as I say Milwaukee and Boston, Alex, like, yeah, they have Giannis in Milwaukee. That's going to happen. But but we see time and again when a high-profile player like Damian Lillard you know, joins a new team. It doesn't always work right away. But, regard, you know, Milwaukee, Boston, legit. Philly is a mess, obviously, with the James Harden stuff. So I'm going to take them out of the mix yeah. right now. Cleveland's going to be dangerous, but to me, that's a second tier. Same thing with New York uh, and, and Miami, who I'm, of course, overlooking, but they had a tough offseason. So that list, I'm going to say two out of the East. I'm going to be in that, you know, one of those guys that, that, you know, says just two out of the East, out of the West, obviously Denver, um, from there, it gets dicey. I would almost, this is strange considering this time last year how ugly things were for them, but the Lakers feel like a pretty reliable commodity to me. Yeah. Um, so I think the Lakers are there. I saw the Warriors last night. I'm, a, I'm becoming a bit of a Chris Paul believer within that group. Uh, I think they're, you know, it may be one shade below that top tier, but I think they're going to be really good. Um, you know, we can go all the way down the list. I think Memphis we're going to overlook because of the jaw suspension, but you know, I, I like their off season a lot. So, but the list you're talking about is probably only, you know, I think four deep. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Uh, I agree with you that there's two teams out East and I think in the West, Denver, Phoenix, uh, Memphis, Golden State, those seem like the best bets. Oh, and then the Lakers. And then you look at teams like the Clippers, you know, Health-wise, we'll see, uh, you know, if they're able James to. James Harden-wise, we'll see. Oh, yeah, you know. exactly. So there's yeah. a lot up in the air with them, but they could Real quick, not to, you know, pretend it's I'm the host here and I'm not the guest, <laughs> but I want to know how do you, because Phoenix, I, I have kind of a personal policy where I've just finally decided, like, I'm not projecting great things for new groups. Now, again, Dame's yeah. a little different because I know Giannis in Milwaukee. Like, we can count on that and the rest of that group. But this, you know, this Durant, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, now Yusuf Nurkic combo. I love the talent and it could work, but but how do you see them? I have a lot of questions. Uh, and like I mentioned, I think we both agree on the chemistry continuity thing. So there's yeah. some fear there. Um, and it's a lot of guys that, you know, are primary ball handlers, need the ball in their hands. Now, I, I think obviously Bradley Beal is a third option is scary. He's going to, you know, draw some great defensive matchups and there's going to be nights when they go off. I'm more worried about them defensively. Even like the use of Nurkic trade, I was kind of surprised by it just because uh, everyone's saying, oh, well, you know what you're going to get from him. You know he's going to hustle. And there were obviously questions about DeAndre Ayton's motor. Um, I think offensively, he provides more spacing and, and shooting, which we've seen in Portland. But he's also, uh, you know, a guy that has missed time with injury. He's older. There were people talking about him as one of the, the worst contracts in the league at one point. So I, I do have questions about Nurkic and kind of his fit there. Um, you know, I understand that they had some concerns about Aiden and maybe that relationship wasn't, uh, you know, they couldn't repair the relationship. Basically, it wasn't able to be salvaged. So they had to find the next best option. But when you look at Phoenix's lack of depth uh, and just did their defensive issues, uh, I don't know. I, I think on paper, they're loaded, obviously, and they have the potential. I put them in that contender list because their ceiling is, uh, is you know, top team in the West contender. But there are a lot of question marks, guys that could potentially miss time, guys that uh, maybe not, maybe on paper they look great, but don't fit together perfectly. So I'm curious to see how it works out. You know, uh, even like 
there's the question, okay, who's going to play point guard? Is it Devin Booker or Bradley Beal? I'd imagine it's going to be Devin Booker most of the time. You know, we've seen point book and he's looked good in that role at times. Uh, but yeah, it's not a sure thing. I would say that, um, you know, and it, I think it's going to be tough for them to go out and make other moves to kind of, you know, surround that core with a great supporting cast just because they have gone so much, you know, all in kind of on this unit. Right. What are your thoughts on Phoenix? Yeah, I, again, I could see it working. Um, I actually, you know, we we were talking coach of the year earlier today and I threw Frank Vogel out there. I was like, listen, if that works, I could see Frank getting a lot of credit. He's got a great, I think he's in a good place, you know, with, you know, so much accomplished, you know, title with the Lakers. Um, he's not necessarily known as a guy, did I lose you, Alex? Oh, no, sorry. I just put you uh Oh, no worries. Sorry. I'm a stream yard rookie here. Stream yard yeah, stream yard trickery. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah, I was so confused. Lost your face for a minute. Um, I, I could see it working. I like Frank. I like his staff uh, and their ability to connect with high-level players. And I actually think there's a little bit less silliness. Um, that's maybe a weird word to put on it. But with this Sun situation than there was with the Lakers, I mean, for him to have to navigate Russell Westbrook and LeBron James, Anthony Davis, all that was pretty challenging. Kevin Durant, at this point in his career is a, you know, clock in, clock out. I just want to go be one of the best players on the planet type guy. Um, I think his vibe with Devin is good. So in general, I could see it working. The Nurkic edition, I'm with you. It, it just, it's weird to me. You don't often see a team that sees a certain type of player so much differently than most of the league in terms of like the degree to which they targeted him and, and identified him as somebody who's, skill set was going to work so much better with that group than Aiden's. Um, you know, I, I think most folks weren't seeing that. We'll see how it pans out. Um, Kevin in general, I guess to tie a bow on my point, uh, I think the basketball world again is, is kind of overlooking Kevin Durant. I could see him, especially with these new rules and, and the incentives to play 65 games and, you know, the, the more Kevin Durant, they're better. And, and if he's healthy, uh, you know, they're going to find that a way to make that work. He's going to be good, I think. Yeah, I also think, you know, this is a different conversation, but I'll touch on it briefly. I think that they devalued their own asset a little bit with DeAndre Ayton. Yeah. Know, he's going through, not only do you not extend him, which I believe he was the only number one overall pick since like Anthony Bennett to not get extended. Uh, after going to the NBA Finals with him, you know, he could have basically said, look, I'm going to put up crazy stats and, and put myself for the team. But, I think he did kind of take a backseat and sacrificed a little bit for the good of the team. And then you don't reward him with an extension. So I understand some frustration there from Aiden in his camp. But then during the whole restricted free agency process, you know, there were those reports that the Suns feel like they can replace his production very easily with, you know, cheaper players and some of the things like that. So then you turn around and try to trade him. And it's like, yeah, of course he doesn't have, you know, as, uh, as much value as maybe you would like because you've been putting out these other, you know, I'm not saying, you know, specifically, who it was with the Suns because it's always anonymous and stuff like that. But there were reports that they felt like they could replace his production. They were concerned about his motor and, you know. Uh, well, they're also, yeah. and correct me if, if you disagree, but like there was this constant uh, stream of like, he's not working, he's not a good fit, all the stuff you're hinting at. Yeah. But there wasn't like one, you know, one moment where you said, oh, remember the, you know, the, the time that he got into it with this guy in the locker room like that. Those those details that maybe stuff like that did happen, we didn't really learn them. And really, it was kind of just a, a, a you know, a, almost a passive aggressive um, handling of, of kind of his reputation and his name. And and I never admittedly completely understood why 
you know, that that fit wasn't better, even w- among his teammates. You know, when yeah. they were going to the finals, guys were certainly rocking with him and and saying incredible things about him. And he was producing and, and was a big part of what they did. Uh, you know, he had that moment with Monty in the playoffs that, you know, that that's the kind of stuff that happens in basketball. So I'm with you a bit. I think, uh, you know, the handling of that was was a little strange. Yeah, there's definitely things that happen behind the scenes, I think, that we don't know about. And I'm sure that factored in. But just some of those reports and, you know, source things that were kind of coming out, I, I think that kind of devalued the asset a little bit. And um, so I'm happy for him, though. I think he gets a, you know, change of scenery. He'll be able to, uh, you know, get the ball in his hands more in Portland and kind of make the most of that opportunity. So uh, moving on from the Suns, I want to ask you about this James Harden situation. You had a great article uh, about you know, what's kind of going on in these trade talks and how Terrence Mann has been, you know, completely uh, untouchable so far. Give us an update on the Harden trade saga and how do you see this coming to an end? Because we've seen Maury's willing to kind of dig his feet in and wait this out. We saw with Ben Simmons. Uh, so if there's anyone that's going to wait, you know, up to the trade deadline, I would say it's probably him. And other teams know that, you know, he obviously has that leverage too. Like, look, I've done it before. I'll do it again. How do you think this ends? Yeah, it's crazy that, you know, to me, the word I keep going back to is uncomfortable. And but the thing is that with James and Daryl, both, if you went around the entire NBA and, and had a power rankings of which people and just humans are, you know, most well versed in uncomfortable situations like James and Daryl are probably one and two in no particular order. You know, James and, and the way that he handled his exit in Houston and then Brooklyn and then now in Philly, you know, Daryl, like you mentioned with the Ben Simmons stuff. And I've told this story before, but the irony always makes me laugh a little bit. You know, the idea that when Daryl was trying to pry James Harden out of Brooklyn, that in those negotiations, one of his, uh, you know, perceived leverage points, I guess, was the idea that he could tell the Nets officials, listen, trust me, I know what I'm talking about. You do not want to deal with an unhappy James Harden. Just go ahead and give him to me. Like that was kind of the <laughs> the idea and then, of course, lo and behold, here we are. And he's, you know, kind of uh, eating his own words a bit and, and having to get reminded how this looks. Um, I don't know how it's going to end. To your question on the trade talks, you know, like I reported yesterday, um, Terrence Mann is the number one holdup. But to qualify that, like within that one particular framework, so an unprotected first pick swap, matching salaries, and Terrence Mann, that is the deal that would get it over the finish line. They would have a trade. The Clippers do not, in that construct, want to include Terrence Mann. Like, now, if the Sixers, you know, gave back some of that draft capital, then I do believe that Terrence Mann would be on the table. Um, It's funny. I also told people yesterday, you know, we don't pick sides. We don't, we try to just report, but you have opinions all along the way. I have to admit, in terms of a player of James Harden's magnitude and what he brings when he's healthy and when he's focused, you know, that, construct that I just kind of laid out to me is is not any sort of exceptional return on value for a guy like James Harden. So I am admittedly surprised that the Clippers are are letting that be the obstacle, but they're negotiating against themselves. Um, to this point, the market has not, you know, attracted any any other suitors. I think Philly and this this plan is getting blown up in real time right now. Philly had certainly hoped that James would understand that the more he showed up to work and the better he played as the season went on, the greater the possibility that another team would get involved. And that ultimately would give them 
more leverage so they could get him to the Clippers. I mean, that's, I think, the way they would portray it to him because they're trying to keep his faith that, that they are trying to get him where he wants to go. Um, at this point, I, it, there's no way of knowing where it goes because James missed practice again today. Um, hasn't been around the team since Sunday, I believe it was, reportedly back in Houston, you know, his favorite place. Um, and, you know, he's upset. And we did see this coming. He's upset because, in his mind, the Clippers improved their offer. And, you know, based on the messaging he was getting from the Sixers, not from Daryl, because, of course, they're not talking. Uh, you know, and I was told that his communication, for the most part, is going through GM Elton Brand. But that he believed that the time had come for the Sixers to say yes to, you know, the, some of the, the discussions and the offers that happened earlier this week. When that didn't happen, then it was phase two of his plan, which is I'm going to go ahead and, and start kind of pulling back from the team. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah, do you think there's a dark horse team that could emerge? Because to your point, I, I understand the Clippers basically saying we're not going to bid against ourselves. Um, and I'm sure Maury's hoping that there's another team that kind of emerges and becomes a suitor. Is there any team that kind of fits that description potentially? Uh, or do you think it just comes down to the Clippers and Sixers finding out or figuring out an offer that makes sense for both sides? If Between those two options, I would say the latter. Um, yeah. The Clippers can be patient. And they're also, just to give context here, and this is just my own interpretation of it, you know, the Clippers, when they did the the, the deal for, you know, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George unofficially together with OKC, you know, and, and Kawhi's free agency and Paul coming, you know, if you remember, Alex, and you know this, like, they when they included Shea Gilgis-Alexander in that deal, they said at the time, like, they knew that he was really good and they were concerned about how good he was going to be and knew that they might regret that. Well, guess what? He's an incredible player who's going to be in the MVP race this year again. Um, Terrence Mann is not that, so this is a, a bit of a apples and oranges, but I do understand if you're Steve Ballmer, the general idea that you're, you're you know, kind of done giving up uh, quality young assets uh, as you look at this older core and wonder, are we ever going to actually fulfill the promise that came with having Kawhi and PG together? You know, Steve, I think, is not in the mood to just look at his cupboard and have it be entirely bare because you have James Harden, who would then be a free agent next summer, and, and you got to pay him at that point because they would have his bird rights. So um, that's just a little bit of Clippers context. I would say as far as other teams, I, I don't see it. New York is the one everybody you know occasionally brings up, um, but all indications are they do not have any interest. They're not pursuing him. You know, that's a personal tie-in thing where Gerson Rosas – formerly of the Rockets front office, is a big fan of James's. And now with the Knicks and and people almost kind of assumed that in the same vein of, of Daryl Morey going and getting James, that Gerson would want to do that as well. Uh, if anything, I actually think that they are, like everybody kind of knows, laying in the weeds, waiting for the other Sixers star, uh, for Joel Embiid to, to one out of Philly. I think that's, if anybody, that's who they have their eyes on. So uh, we, we always get surprised. We didn't necessarily see... Milwaukee coming for in the Damian Lillard situation right. stuff happens but no right now it, it it feels very much like a one horse race yeah to your point about the Clippers not only would Harden hit free agency next uh, offseason but Kawhi and PG can both opt out as well so I get them you know wanting to protect some of those younger assets and not going all in on basically a one-year window uh, a potential one-year window in case those guys all leave right uh, you mentioned Embiid I, I've had a few different guests on uh, Michael Scotto from Hoopsype, Trevor Lane from Lakers Nation and the NBA Front Office Show. 
And I like to throw this question out there. So anyone that's, you know, a, a regular viewer has probably heard this question before, but who is the next superstar or superstars that could be on the move? Because everyone was talking about Giannis and then obviously Milwaukee responds and goes against Dame. For a long time, it was Dame and Bradley Beal that everyone was kind of focused on. Oh, when could they get on? When would they be moved? Obviously, both found new homes this offseason. Is Embiid that guy that the rest of the NBA is kind of looking at as maybe the next guy that, you know, could be plucked away? Um, or is there another star player out there? Um, you know, James Harden aside, basically, who's the next guy that could be like on trade watch or could be on the move? Um, you know, the timelines are tricky. If you're saying the next one, the other, you know, then we get back to the question of how do you define, you know, is it superstar? Is it star? Because two guys who come to mind, they're on the same team is Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan. Um, I think with Chicago, that could be a this year thing. That could be a trade deadline thing, depending on how the first few months of the season go. You know, I think those are guys that a lot of teams have eyes on and are going to monitor those situations. Now, Joel Embiid is a, is a higher tier player than both those guys. So in terms of the timeline, I think Joel's situation would be a, a next summer thing. And, and there's so much unknown between now and then, you know, what ultimately happens in the James Harden situation? Where do they get back? Um, once they get that uh, return on that trade, you know, and like I wrote yesterday, they, they then plan on, you know, that's phase one for them. They then have to take all that stuff and go find a high-end player, um, you know, to go help them title contend. So if they don't do that, if the season is a, an unmitigated disaster, where does that put Joel's mindset next summer? Uh, I think he is for sure on the top of the list of, of guys that teams are monitoring, um, but not as clear as I think. I, you know, I mean, to me, the Levine and DeRozan thing seems like a matter of time, even though the Bulls have, have kind of tried to frame it differently. Two guys that uh, Trevor mentioned, uh, not on the same level as maybe Embiid or, to your point, Levine, uh, were Pascal Siakam and Trey Young. Do you think there's anything there, potentially? I don't think those situations are necessarily, you know, uh, it's not like it's inevitable, but I think he was saying teams are probably monitoring those situations to see if maybe those guys could become available. And Siakam's been in trade rumors. I mean, that's not a huge surprise, but right. what are your thoughts on those two? Yeah, Siakam for sure. Um I, you know, Pascal, his is funny because he wants, even with all the, you know, uncertainty and and people not knowing what Masai Ujiri is going to do with the roster. And, and you know, they took a lot of criticism the last six months for, you know, you you have Fred Van Vliet coming up. You, you could have moved him for something. You let him go to Houston. All these different, you know, curious moves or non-moves that have happened in Toronto. Siakam has continued to want to be in Toronto. Um, yeah. But it does not appear that that is, it's not that there's, you know, any, any acrimony or animus towards Pascal, but it, you know, it also doesn't seem, I mean, he's, he's definitely somebody you can talk to the Raptors about and the Raptors folks, or I'm sorry, Siakam's people absolutely have been long since been convinced that, you know, that they could pick up, you know, get a phone call at any moment and he would be somewhere else that they're not committed to him, even though, um, you know, again, in his mind in a perfect world he'd be signing long-term to stay in Toronto. So Siakam is, is definitely a good name and a guy that is, you know, I think has a, a pretty robust market out there. Um, with Trey Young, and admittedly, I need to, you know, we're starting the, the season now. I need to kind of circle back with some people and get more clarity. I haven't connected on the Hawks side for a while, but they the way they finished um, you know, with Quinn Snyder and some of the progress they made, you know, uh, coaching-wise with him and that group, 
and then the big changes that happened in the front office and some of the recalibrating organization-wide that went on, my sense at that time was, you know, that what came with it was a recommitment to Trey Young. Now, it doesn't mean that he's not a guy that they'll listen to and about. Um, There have been moments when I think that, you know, their owner, Tony Ressler, looked at it and, and was kind of reflecting on the Trey Young experience. Um, but that would, right now, that would surprise me a lot. I think that is still in their eyes. Uh, he's the best thing going for them. And even if I think there's a ceiling on where you can go with him as your number one guy, um, you know, I don't see him going anywhere anytime soon. The annual NBA GM survey came out and uh, Anthony Edwards was predicted as the uh, player who's most likely to break out. Uh, I think, again, it goes back to how you define breakout. Uh, obviously, we've seen Edwards play at a super high level. He was great with Team USA at times during the World Cup. Um, who were some players that you think could break out? I know there's a lot of hype around Austin Reeves right now. And could he take that next step? You know, Edwards, he still has room to improve. He could, you know, elevate his game and become one of the best shooting guards. He already probably is, you know, top three, top four, but become even better. Uh, who are some guys that you have as possible breakouts? Well, this one, Alex, and you were nice enough to send the topics over early. Now I'm like that kid in school who didn't do all his homework. So this one I didn't <laughs> dig in on too much. Uh, I'm going to take the easy answer that you already highlighted. I mean, the Anthony Edwards is that guy uh, watching what he did in FIBA, not even just production-wise, but uh, decorum and body language and leadership and voice. You know, Steve Kerr, and you know this stuff, like, National team coach Steve Kerr early on in training camp suggests to Anthony that he comes off the bench. Uh, he kind of famously had, the, the way Steve had put it to him was that, you know, that that um, I think it was D-Wade that he brought up that on, on Team USA back in the day that D-Wade came off the bench when they had Kobe in that spot. Uh, and so he was trying to convince Anthony that it might be a good idea to come off the bench. And, and you know, with, with no disrespect, Anthony said back, you know, well, okay, but we don't have Kobe on this team. <laughs> and like that kind of swagger. Yeah, he's right. And then he ends up being the best player on their team. And, um, and, and you, it, you always hesitate to ever put any player in uh, the same sentence with Michael Jordan. And I'm not doing that, but man, in terms of just the way he moves and athleticism and some of his game, there are some MJ moments with Anthony when he's out there. Um, again, not putting them in the same stratosphere. But Anthony I think he's gonna, going to be going to be – Yeah. No, it's more job. like I saw – and this is the power of social media. I mean, there were some videos where where people clipped, you know, just turnaround jumpers side by yeah. side with Anthony and MJ. And it's a little bit like, you, you know, Kobe studied MJ – I don't know to what degree Anthony studied Michael. Maybe it's him studying Kobe, and that means he looks like MJ. But he's a hell of a player, and I think it's such a fascinating year for him because uh, you're not the, the you know the new kid on the block anymore. They really need things to work with Carl Anthony Towns and, and Rudy Gobert, and that group. And, and Anthony's going to have to find a way to not let his talent you know kind of get snuffed out um, very often. I think you know he's got to be their number one priority. He's the best player on that team. So I'm excited to see what he does this year. You mentioned Austin. Uh, I'm being very on brand with this because I'm the guy who lives near Sacramento. But there's a lot of excitement in this part of the country about Keegan Murray um, playing really well. I talked to him a bit last night. Um, Aggressive offensively. um, Seems to just really, you can tell when guys 
see themselves in, in their arc a certain way. And he just seemed very comfortable with the idea that that he has, you know, planning on being a very good NBA player for a long time. And last uh, last season when he broke the rookie record for threes, the one, I think part of what he did that was so overlooked was, you know, he passes, I think it was Donovan Mitchell's um, rookie record for threes. And the number doesn't matter. I forget the number, but he shot 41%. From three, like Donovan, I think was at 34 when he did it. Uh, you know, that, that is, it is high volume. And, yeah. you know, then he kept that going in the playoffs. He had some great games and, you know, internally they're pretty jacked about Keegan. So I think he should have a good year. Real quick, just on the, the point about MJ and Anthony Edwards, have you seen this picture? Yes. Like, <laughs> that is so crazy to me. I mean, even down to like the physical appearance. So right. Similar. Uh, right. So yeah, very cool. I love it. Well, but also just to finish that point, it's uh, this is, you know, I mean, you know, all this history. I got a few years on you. So this I'm, I'm aging myself a bit. Like I have vivid memories of as a kid of I was a huge Michael guy. I, I grew up in the Bay near San Francisco. And early on, I was a Warriors fan. And then when Michael was as great as he was, I just jumped ship on the Warriors and went to the Bulls. And Michael, if you remember, because you've heard about it, like he was a score first, everybody questioning him as a teammate, questioning him as a leader. And the, the narrative early on was that it was just a, a me first selfish talent. That's basically yeah, what he was. Man. Yeah. And, and, you know, it didn't, wasn't enough of a playmaker. Um, you know, I saw a clip the other day. Why am I blanking on which Bulls coach it was, but one of his coaches talking about how in, in that NBA, uh, you just can't win with a guard being your best player. You know, that was the, the time of the, of the big man. But, yeah. you know, Ant has a few similar themes around his narrative, his kind of story uh, that he's trying to cut through right now. So, uh, you know, again, curious to see where he takes it. That's a great point. Um, two more things. Uh, you mentioned Sacramento. It feels like people are viewing that last year's uh, success as a fluke. You know, I saw, I think John Hollinger had them at 39 wins this year. And I thought yep. Kings fans were freaking out about that. But even like, I mean, the over-under, I think, for them is like 44 wins. So... Obviously, the Western Conference has a lot of talented teams in it, but they brought back the the same core. To your point, they have a lot of young players, so internal development is absolutely possible from a guy like Keegan. You know, the chemistry should be better than we saw last year. I don't know. I still think this team could be very good and, you know, possibly go on a deep playoff run, get a high seed in the West. What are your thoughts on this Kings team, and do you think maybe they're being overlooked a little bit? Yeah, I think so. I actually like their offseason a lot, although I will say one of their... The, you know, big moves that they were so excited about, at least early on, is not seemingly happen or being as, as kind of positive as they were hoping. So Sasha Vizenkov, the EuroLeague MVP, comes over and that, you know, they had his draft rights. They they went over and sent, you know, a pretty large contingent of Kings officials at different times to go get to know Sasha and, and talk to him and get to know him as a person and eventually convince him to come over. Um, but what's tricky is he shoots the heck out of the ball. He's a fantastic offensive player. But as you know, last season, the Kings' problem was defense. And so Mike Brown right now, excuse me, is it's kind of entertaining to watch. I saw some of this last night in the Warriors-Kings game. He's, I mean, he is, he's coaching and going at them in a, in a like mid-regular season type of way. He's going pretty hard, and, and, and he basically knows that the only way for them to get better is to increase physicality, increase toughness, um, so Mike is on one right now for lack of a better way of putting it. And I just don't know, um, where that's going to take them. I I'm again, interested to see, but 
they locked up Sabonis, um, which I thought was smart because people sometimes forget in this market, you know, players haven't wanted to be here. The history is terrible. So having a guy like that secured long-term is a really big deal. De'Aaron Fox took such a leap last year. I can go all the way down the line. I think they're going to be good. Um, you know, I think Davion Mitchell is kind of in a sneaky way an important player because he's one of the few guys that that really excels defensively. But mm-hmm. uh, they have such a good offense that sometimes that end of the floor means that that he's going to get played off the floor. So, you know, his offseason work, what does he look like now? Um, I think they're going to be good. To your point, man, I looked at um, the Vegas coach of the year odds, and I get that, you know, there's a lot of good coaches. Mike Brown wasn't even on the top 10 wow. of coach of the, you know. And so I do think there's a lot of folks who think it was, uh, you know, not totally a fluke. You know, to Hollinger's defense, the one thing that he's hit on, and, and this will crack you up, he's been getting just absolutely murdered locally. Like I turn on local sports talk, and they do not like John Hollinger right now. Um, <laughs> he's my guy. I love him. His thing is that health-wise, the Kings had a historical level of health last year, and chances are that won't continue. The Kings' counter to that is that Sabonis played through a hand injury that just was sheer toughness. He had a legit, very serious, almost you know season-ending injury, decided to play through it. Keegan Murray had the same injury, also played through it. Um, so, you know, you got to give them their flowers for toughness being part of the the story last season and they're talented. It's just the West. You literally have, you know, I don't know, seven, eight teams where if I told you that this team ended up third, you would say, yeah, sounds about right. And if I told you that same team was ninth, you'd go, yeah, that doesn't shock me. You know, like there's just so much parody. It's going to be wild. I agree. Last question for you. We saw back in 2016, the NBA's new TV deal kind of led to salary cap spike and then crazy contracts being handed out. You know, we'll see if uh, when this next TV deal gets done, if uh, they they smooth things out and, and, you know, learn that lesson. But I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on kind of the NBA's next TV deal? I think the fact that you have, you know, Amazon and some of these big streamers that are spending tons of money to acquire sports, uh, Apple, it's it's interesting. And they're probably going to be even more of a bidding war for the NBA TV rights than we've seen in the past. Um, so it's a huge opportunity for the NBA. But what are your thoughts on kind of the, the next TV deal and then how that's going to impact, you know, the the league, the salary cap? Some of the contracts that we see handed out now, you know, where guys are making $60 million a year, that is, seems crazy for fans that have been following the game for a while. But there could come a time when, you know, with this new TV deal, uh, we see even bigger salaries. Uh, what are your right. thoughts on just kind of what that could do to the league? Yeah, it's crazy um, how much the growth i mean it's just you know the revenue streams are just wide open um if you go back to the rules change of the this summer you know 65 games to qualify for the awards the player participation policy all of that stuff in my opinion is is largely geared towards satisfying tv partners yeah. both present and future and the general idea that they want star players on the floor in fact the nba held a conference call with uh a couple of league officials, Joe Dumars, Evan Wash recently that I was a part of. And, and, and Joe, at one point, to his credit, because I appreciated his candor, uh, he had explained the reasoning behind the player participation uh, policy, the kind of the anti-load management rule, and talked about the new studies they had looked at that indicated the load management wasn't as effective as they previously thought. I jumped in. It was like, Joe, yeah, elephant in the room, you know, the TV contract component has got to be a big part of this. What, you know, how do you see that? And what is the message from 
TV partners. And, and he kind of smiled a little bit. And I was waiting for him to just absolutely BS his way through it. And he didn't. He just said, he said the word yes, like three, four times. He said, Sam, like, yes, yes. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, that part matters. And so um, the numbers are going to be bonkers. You know, as you know, the previous contract, nine years, $24 billion with ESPN and Turner. And this one's going to blow that one out of the water. You know, you already hit on the major principles, Apple, Amazon. Um, you know, the the incumbents as well. Right now, uh, everybody's going to be fighting for it. If I had to handicap it, you know, you hear a lot about about the package, so to speak, getting split up between a few places, even more so than it is now. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens in the boardroom, but the NBA is absolutely flush with cash. I mean, it's a, down the, the line a ways, but to your point, the idea of a $100 million a year player you know, at some point that's probably going to happen. Um, and you know, uh, I, we, we could have societal conversations about what that means and, and what, you know, tough to wrap your head around, but, uh, you know, Adam Silver in terms of his job description and, uh, being the guy who, who stewards this thing is, is obviously doing something right. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Uh, well, I appreciate you joining me. It's always fun to pick your brain and, and talk NBA. Uh, thank you for your time and can you tell everyone where they can find the rest of your work? Appreciate you, Alex. Uh, yeah, over at The Athletic, trying to do our thing, always having fun doing it uh, on social media, on Twitter, or X, whatever we're calling it these days, at, at Sam underscore A-M-I-C-K, doing a little bit of IG too. I think that one is uh, at S-R Amick. So look forward to the season. Come along with us. Thanks, brother. I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Prize Picks. If you haven't tried daily fantasy sports on Prize Picks, you are missing out. Here's how it works. You pick two to six players and whether they'll score more or less points than their prize picks projections. If you're right, you win big. You can win 25 times your money on any entry. At prize picks, you aren't competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections. Prize picks offers projections on virtually every sport NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, college basketball, soccer, WNBA, esports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, and more. You can mix and match players from different sports, so you could have LeBron James and Patrick Mahomes in the same lineup, for example. If you download Prize Picks today and use the promo code RUNNING, they'll double your deposit up to $100. That's the promo code RUNNING, and they'll double your deposit up to $100. It takes 30 seconds or less to build a lineup. To show you how easy it is, I'm going to build a lineup right now. All right, so we go over to Prize Picks. Right now, they have a special where if Steph Curry has more than 0.5 points, uh, in their opening game against the Suns, then you win. So let's go Steph Curry more than 0.5 points. And then let's go to NFL receiving yards. Tyreek Hill has just been so dominant lately. I'm going to go with Tyreek Hill uh, more than, where is he? 98.5 receiving yards. Let's hit more. Let's do a $5 entry, place entry. And just like that, we are good to go. Thanks to PrizePix for sponsoring this episode. Use the promo code RUNNING so they can double your deposit up to $100. That's the promo code RUNNING. Let's get back to the show. Thanks again to Sam for joining me. Now I'm joined by another fantastic guest. He is a fantasy football expert, does incredible work for Sportsline, CBS Sports Fantasy. My guest is Jacob Gibbs. Jacob, how you doing? I'm great, man. It's such a busy time of year, of course. So like right now, I'm just kind of tired. I like need to, after this... <laughs> After this, go out and like touch grass a little bit, get some sunlight. Like, but yeah, I'm I'm loving. I love every minute of it. 
Yeah, it's always important. I don't do it enough, as you can tell by my pale skin here, but you know, uh, <laughs> always important to touch some grass here and there. Um, I'm excited to pick your brain. You're one of the best analysts in the business. You know, you're one of the most accurate rankers each year. And uh, I love your Twitter account. If anyone's a fantasy football fan, make sure you're following Jacob. Incredible stats, great advice. Uh, I want to just kind of ask you a few questions about this season so far. Who have been some of the biggest surprises for you? It feels like there's a lot of guys that kind of popped out out of nowhere, um, you know, took advantage of a big opportunity. Who are some of the guys that surprised you so far this season? Well, it's got to be Pukunukur, right? We've got to start there uh, for the Rams. Pukunukur has been so much fun. Um, I don't want to, you know, be like, I knew this was coming because I, like, just because I saw what he did in college, but, like, he was somebody who a lot of people didn't know about because he couldn't put together a full season. He kept getting hurt. He was in weird offenses. One of his his second to last year just played in a BYU offense that just ran Tyler Utcher into the dirt and he barely could get a play. But like on a per route basis, Nakua has been one of the most productive collegiate receivers we've seen in like five or ten years. And so it's just fun. Sometimes that stuff's not predictive. Especially in college, you get really random stuff with quarterback play, coaching, all kinds of different levels of play. Um, but occasionally you're like, this is interesting. Like, what's this? And then he follows the Rams and it's like, this seems like a perfect fit. Like he can maybe be the Robert Woods flanker type and just like really ball out. And then cup gets hurt. And it's like, wow, I think he might be like, this might actually be a thing. And then he comes out week one and is just like setting records. Like, <laughs> I, I think he's been the funnest, the funnest surprise so far. He's like winning people leagues right now. Um, man, Devon Achan, Raheem Moster, what's going on in Miami? Like, breaking every single statistical model that we have, like regression, things like that, that we like to talk about so much for fantasy. Just forget about it, throw it out the window. Uh, how about Nico Collins in Houston? Uh, absolutely balling out. CJ Stroud like looks so good and he's got such a fun young group of receivers. I just had Matt Harmon of Reception Perception, Yahoo Fantasy on, and he's like, these guys are legit. Yeah, Matt's so good. If you don't follow Matt, you definitely need to. These guys are legit. Matt goes through and grades every single receivers routes and looks at their individual matchups, seeing if they're winning versus press coverage, man coverage, stuff like that. And like, yeah, everything points towards Nico being like absolutely legit. He's second or third in the league in yards per hour run, like just absolutely balling out. So yeah, it's been, it's been kind of a frustrating start with some injuries and stuff. That's always part of fantasy, but like there've been some legitimate, like fun underlying storylines that have popped up. For sure. I give credit to you, Matt, uh, for kind of putting me on to Nico. Tank Dell was another one. Uh, yes. Puka. There were a lot of those guys that uh, I think by doing Dynasty, that's helped me a lot to kind of identify who these rookies are. And then, you know, uh, it feels like every time I go to a redraft league, especially a home league draft, people just aren't as familiar with these rookies and you can get some steals late in drafts. Let's talk about this rookie wide receiver class because it's been insane. I mean, you mentioned Puka, Jordan Addison, JSN, Zay Flowers, Josh Downs, Tank Dell, Marvin Mims, even though he should be playing way more, Rasheed Rice, Michael Wilson, even if you, you know, Jaden Reed, uh, I'm a Buck yes. fan. Trey Palmer obviously isn't in the yes. tier of those guys, but he's a, like a late sleeper. It seems like not only are there studs, there's a lot of depth too. There's a, it's a really nice class. Alex, you are truly a sicko. I'm just, I'm like welcoming <laughs> you in, join us. Like I, <laughs> I think of you as an NBA guy, but then you have me like talking about Trey Palmer and, and Jaden Reed. I love it. Well, that means yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've had so many like amazing receiver classes back to back to back, and then this year seemed like the one that was going to drop off. And it, I mean, relatively speaking, it has, but at the same time, like we haven't even had a breakout, a true breakout from any of the top three receivers. And still we're like, isn't this rookie receiver class so cool. And it's just like, wow, we're, we are really spoiled. I think this week might be the week we finally see JSN pop off. 
uh, it's been really quiet for Jackson Smith and Jigba, but like from a prospect profile standpoint, he's about as exciting as it gets. He's like close to Garrett Wilson and those guys we've had recently. And he hasn't done much, but like, if I think within context, that makes sense. The Seahawks lost both their tackles right off the bat. They're starting offensive tackles. And so they've gone to a lot more two tight end sets. We saw in the first week coming out of the bye that they drastically changed that. They uh, ran through series sets at the highest rate we've seen all year. And so this week they get a match against Arizona that really presents well. The, the Cardinals blitz the lowest rate in the entire league. And so it's like, you know, maybe we won't need these extra tight end blockers. Maybe we get JSN running a little bit. Mm-hmm. His average depth of target's been rising each week. So like, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic, cautiously optimistic that we might finally see him get going. Quentin Johnson, I don't know about that as much. I'm pretty, it's been rough out there. Yeah, he's just so raw. You know, I know people are yeah. excited about what he can become if he develops, but, you know, everyone got so pumped when Mike Williams went down, but Josh Palmer seems like he kind of stepped into that role. I just think he's probably a year or two away from being ready to contribute the way people want right. him to. Uh, but yeah, he's also in that class and could eventually become, you know, a significant contributor. Um, I want to ask you, the running back position just feels so frustrating. You know, if you were able to go get a Raheem Mostert or a Travis Etienne or one of these guys that, you know, probably fell a little bit later than they should have, you're, you're obviously feeling very happy right now. But a lot of the early running backs have struggled. I'm curious, do you think we're going to see more people, you know, kind of pivot to that zero RB, hero RB strategy going forward uh, just because you can find so many playable running backs basically later in the season. You could have started, you know, Kyron Williams and Raheem Mostert and, and your side right. uh, until the injury. But do you think we're going to see more of that in the future? I think so. I think just given the way that this season has played out so far, that makes sense. And just, I feel like the momentum has kind of been swinging that way for a while. People are getting frustrated with the fragility of the running back position. Um, there's been a lot of great work done on that topic. Uh, Sean Siegel, who does Stealing Bananas with Ben Gretsch, uh, definitely looking to both those guys, if you aren't uh, familiar with their work, they're incredible. Um, I really love their podcast as well. So yeah, I think you're 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 right on. You know, the bleeding edge again here, Alex. I think absolutely that's the direction that we're moving in. Um, it's been man, it's been a tough year for running backs. I want to talk more about receivers. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been brutal, and it's crazy because going into this draft season, I told myself I'm not going to fall for running backs early, like I always do. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot. I'm gonna draft maybe one stud RB early on, and then you just like start falling in love with like, oh well, this guy could be good, and there is so much scarcity. Maybe I should go early running back, but I think I've learned my lesson and. Hopefully next year it's wide receiver heavy very, very early on. But yeah, it's a very frustrating year. Uh, let's talk about one of those frustrating backfields uh, in Indianapolis. Now, I have one team where I have both Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss. So I was loving Zach Moss early in the year. Uh, obviously now it's kind of a headache. I, I think this week I had to start both of them because Tony Pollard is on by. But what do you think of this Indianapolis backfield? I see an ECR Jonathan Taylor is like 25 spots higher than Moss rest of season. So obviously this, he has the higher ceiling. We know what he can do when he gets the workload. But now, especially with Anthony Richardson out, I could see them just running both guys and giving them both a ton of touches and being a run-heavy team. What are your thoughts on this Col- Colts backfield and kind of what we see going forward? So we, we saw things swing back towards Taylor a little bit last week. Uh, 24 routes run for Zach Moss compared to 22 for Taylor. 43% snap rate for Taylor. Um, in week five... It was not an even split at all. It was pretty much all Zach Moss. I think we're going to see that continue to move in that direction. This week, if you got to start both of them, that's tough, man, because Cleveland has been ridiculous against the run. I got to find – did you see this? I tweeted this out earlier. I just found it. The Browns have allowed 15 rushing yards before contact. 15. Oh, my God. <laughs> on, on, oh, wow. 
114 rush attempts for an average of 0.13. They've allowed 15 rushing yards before contact. The next lowest total is 125. Yeah, I might need to reassess that decision there. Maybe starting so, both of them is not the move. <laughs> what I will say, I just wrote about this in like a game-by-game game breakdown, is like weirdly the Browns have the highest missed tackle rate in the NFL. I don't know what's going on there. Um, but like, yeah, so it's possible, I think. These things do kind of correct themselves. Like they're not going to mm-hmm. be this good. Um, against the run all year, but like, man, this defense is so good. Uh, yeah, so I think long term, it makes sense for the discrepancy between the two players. Um, but I do think Zach Moss has been really good. If you look at like avoided tackle rates over the past two years, like since the start of last year, he's like sixth or seventh overall. Um, he's he's really, I think, what we've seen from him is pretty impressive, and like he's earned the trust of the team. And it wouldn't surprise me if he's there for 40 percent of the snaps and maybe 20 to 30 percent of the touches each week which should still be plenty for jt to be really good in fantasy yeah i hope that's the case i know some people are factoring like a potential trade too with that ranking you know there's been talk that since they just you know committed to jt maybe they look to get something back for uh, zach moss with how well he's playing but (laughs) i think the ar injury they're probably gonna keep both of them and and you know split the workload but yeah i hope it's i hope it's more jt going forward uh, I'm curious, who are some of your, your buy lows right now? Guys that maybe haven't been playing that well that you can go, you know, basically steal from another manager uh, that could turn things around the second half of the season? That's a good question. Um, so I'm curious what you think about Jameer Gibbs. I think Jameer Gibbs is somebody that you could if you believe in the talent. Like he, I think people are, like this is the lowest his perceived value is going to be. That's fair. All yeah. year, it feels like people are so frustrated with him. And it's just like we see time and time again that we, we don't have a complete picture of what a player is or what his role might be in an offense in week five or six or seven. And that's really what we've seen from him. And so often late in the year, we see these rookies break out in ways that we couldn't have maybe expected or you know predicted based off what we saw early in the year. So under that assumption, like maybe Gibbs, maybe Jason, who we talked about um, for Seattle, like, I mean, people are dropping him. Yeah. Um, I think rookies as a general answer is a good place to start. And there's a lot of candidates there. I've talked a lot about Rasheed Rice for the Kansas City Chiefs. Hasn't had a full breakout yet. Um, depending on how plugged in you are to fantasy Twitter, you and your league. You know, if you're playing with Alex, he knows all about Rasheed Rice. But <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people don't yet, you know, because and a lot of people, even maybe if they do know about his per route data being so good, they're like, well, you know, Kansas City receivers, I've seen it before with Kadarius Tony, But it's like he's a different type of player. And he's – he succeeded as a big slot in college when he was in that role. I think that's the role they drafted him to play to kind of be the juju replacement. And they're integrating him into the offense more and more. And when he's on the field, Patrick Mahomes is looking to him a lot. He leads the Chiefs in red zone targets, like raw targets, not per route anything. Like he's just somebody that has the trust of Patrick Mahomes, it seems like. And I think that's important. He's pretty talented. He's like clearly the most explosive player when he's out there. Um I don't have anyone else that just like jumps the mind right away. If you believe in Calvin Ridley, you could go after him. Cause like talk about somebody whose values at an all time low yeah. in terms of perceived value. People are, there's people on Twitter who are just, they just respond to me and they're like, he's bad. He's just bad. And it's like, I don't think he's, <laughs> he's bad at football. We've seen him be very good. Like at times this year, even, you know, like I think it's pretty clear what's happening here is that he's struggled a lot against press coverage and he's faced some of the toughest press corners in the NFL, and he's predictably struggled in those matchups. The Saints, we just he just faced, the Saints have like the second highest slot target rate. P- people don't target outside receivers against the Saints, and it's the same way against Atlanta 
And that's basically all that Calvin Ridley is doing is running those outside big boy routes. Um, listen to Matt Harmon and Nate Tice. They just talked on Reception Perception podcast. They're not worried about what we've seen from Ridley. They think Ridley has really elevated the offense as a whole in Jacksonville. And the you know drops and stuff like that have, have been frustrating, but will work themselves out and the offense is going to work itself out. That's kind of where I'm at with with Ridley. It's like we've seen the worst and there are going to be a lot better games. There, I mean, there's going to be ups and downs, but like there's a lot of upside available to him in his role. So like if you go get him, he kind of reminds me of Drake London after the first couple of weeks where it's like, this is the absolute worst that could be. Like we still believe he's a good player, right? I think there are going to be better days. Yeah, I think those are the guys to target. You know, look for those managers that are going to be frustrated and emotional. As someone that drafted Gibbs in like the third round in a league, you know, getting so hyped up, like, well, he's always going to be on the field. They're going to put him at receiver. He's going to get yeah. all his touches. Like, if you are, if you believe in Gibbs in the second half and, and think his role is going to expand, chances are the manager's ready to give up on him just because of the injuries and the lack of usage. And then, yeah, Ridley, I mean, there's no better time than right now to buy because after last night, very frustrated. Uh, I'm sure a lot of managers are. Um, I think those were good answers. Uh, Marvin Mims strikes me as an interesting one, but like, I just don't know if he's going to play. You know, what are they doing right there? I, I was so excited whenever Sean Payton, you know, trades up to go get him when they didn't really need a receiver. And then everything happens with Tim Patrick and KJ Hamler. And it seems, okay, he's set for a breakout. He looks great in the first couple of weeks of the season. Uh, he's just a, a really risky one, I guess. Uh, but do you think we'll see more of Marvin Mims going forward? Or that whole Broncos situation is just such a mess. Yeah, I certainly would love to see more of Marvin Mims, but I, I will say that we've kind of seen this from Marvin Mims before um, at the collegiate level. So his first year at Oklahoma, he comes out of nowhere and is just absolutely insanely good on a per-route basis. Um, one of the most efficient yard per-route run rate outputs we've ever seen. Um, I, I'm looking for a stack I have a specific stat that's just absolutely insane. He led Oklahoma in receiving yards and touchdowns as an 18-year-old, and he ran around on 35% of the dropbacks, and he led the oh, team wow. in receiving. But he, so this he is play- just kind of who he is, maybe? I think possibly, at least this year, maybe. Um, so, like, he ended up getting more playing time later in his collegiate career, and we saw his efficiency drop, you know, but it had to. But, like, sure. it also kind of normalized a little bit by the end where it wasn't even, you know, like he didn't look like some complete standout Prospects. So a lot of a lot of the stuff we hear from Marvin Mims people is like citing career rates, career per route data, and stuff like that. And it's insane, like the company that he falls in in that specific context. But yeah, you have to just like understand that he he is. This is what he does. He takes the top off of defenses, um, and he's really really good at it. And mm-hmm. if he got a full time role, like maybe he would be some version of this that's even better and would be relevant for fantasy. But at the same time, the offense is not good. Um, yeah. and not the guys that are playing right now, maybe he's way better than them, but like, they're not producing. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I think I like Mims as like a dynasty hold. He was somebody who I, I was really intrigued by his, all of the data surrounding his collegiate profile coming into the league. But I do think it's important to not like completely just jump the boat on this. Cause like we saw last year, you know, we've seen Rashid Shahid like in New Orleans produce absolute insane efficiency like in a similar system like i i I don't know i don't want to yeah i think marvin Mims could be really good and he is really exciting but like yeah it's just important to contextualize all the stats that we see because it's like oh he's historically good like why isn't he playing you know like 
Yeah. Those are great stats. I didn't realize that that happened in college as well. That actually makes things pretty interesting. And that changes my opinion a little bit. Um, I'm curious, who are some sell highs? Uh, guys that maybe are producing, you know, at this crazy level and, and you can go maybe move them off for someone that's a higher upside guy going forward. Is there anyone that comes to mind that you would maybe be selling high right now? Um, DJ Moore would have been the answer before Justin Fields got hurt, but yeah, I don't Adam know. Thielen pops into my head. Do you think that's sustainable for him, or is that what do you think about Adam Thielen? And is he? A, I potentially. I I guess I would worry about somebody like Thielen getting hurt, maybe, or you know, like that's something that's been an issue for him in the past, and he's only getting older. But in terms of like week to week, right now, I think he's probably it's it's pretty sustainable. His underlying um, volume rates are up there with like the best receivers in fantasy. And so like, that's the reason that he's producing that way, especially if you're in a full PPR format, like he's just getting ridiculous target volume every single week. And there's no one there to challenge him for that volume. Like Jonathan Mingo is a talented player an exciting, you know, young player, but he's very raw and he had one of the worst statistical profiles in college of any receiver, like basically the worst of any receiver ever, ever evaluated. Wow. Um, it, it, he just was never targeted. He never led his, his team in receiving. And like DJ Chark seems like he's dust at this point. Like he's really not shown anything like Terrace Marshall, like who, who's going to take targets, you know, like, so if the, as long as he's, as long as he's healthy, like I think that this is just what they have. And Bryce Young has like proven to be like pretty competent. He, he, mm-hmm. He needs a good offense around him to really like shine his best attributes, but like he can find Thielen open over and over and over. And like it's a lot of stuff that it's a lot of routes the defenses are content to give them, you know, because it's not really posing much of a threat. I think defenses are fine with Carolina slowly, methodically moving down the field with a lot of Adam Thielen and Chuba Hubbard, you know? Um, so like in this setup, I think it's probably just going to keep being the same thing for Thielen. I uh, I think that you could potentially sell on like George Pickens. Um, I don't now that Deontay Johnson is back. Like, yeah, I, I worry that he's just going to slide right back into the same role. Um, and people know that, of course. But like, when Deontay Johnson has been there, George Pickens has just not been very relevant for fantasy. He's had a couple. A couple of spike weeks, but yeah, over 50% of his routes are go routes, corner routes, or post routes. And players just don't get targeted on those routes. It's really just like makes it very, very difficult for him to produce for fantasy. And so if he loses the slants and things that they've been giving him, kind of the layup routes, um, if he loses those with Deontay back, then like, yeah, he could really bottom out for fantasy. Um, So you, you could consider selling him. I have a question about one specific guy while you're kind of looking for some others. I think if you're a Raheem Mostert manager right now, you're looking at this crazy production. You look at his injury history, the fact that Jeff Wilson might be coming back from IR any week now, uh, and the fact that, you know, we've seen it's going to be a committee there. Would you, I mean, but then again, it's winning you probably a ton of games to this point. Is Mostert a sell high or is he a hold? I, you can sell him, but like, yeah, the opportunity cost there, like the, the FOMO I would have, like of moving on from Mostert. Like if we're talking about just season long leagues, um, Raheem Mostert is, if he's healthy, he is someone who can win you a week at any time, any time yeah. where you're in a match where you shouldn't win, which can come up so huge to playoffs. Like he can just straight up win you a week with a 40 point week. And there just aren't very many players who have that type of upside available. Um, so like, I get it. 
yeah, hypothetically, like this is the most valuable he'll probably be. And A-Chan looked incredible for sure. Like there, I, I think it makes sense, but just understand that like there's definitely risk. Um, yeah, involved with yourself. I don't know if anybody can stop this offense the way that they're rolling. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, honestly, like I'm having a hard time coming up with cells because things are kind of rough right now. <laughs> yeah, like, fair. There's a lot of offenses that are figuring things out. There's a lot of players who are dealing with injuries and stuff like that. Um, like Travis Etienne, just because he can't keep scoring all of the touchdowns, you know, like I guess you could sell him there, but I do like the setup there and Tank Bixby has been non-existent. Right. Maybe Kenneth Walker, like Zach Charbonnet has been very good. And I think Zach Charbonnet is the type of runner that Pico really likes. And, you know, I think there could come a time if Walker gets banged up or something like that, where Charbonnet steps in and plays well. And then it's like a split backfield, you know, whereas right now Walker's like getting ranked in the top five every week because he's been unbelievable. Kenneth Walker has taken one of the biggest steps from last year to this year of any player. I think like he's really shored up all of the inconsistencies and things that the team kind of got frustrated with him last year in short yard situations, stuff like that. Um, he's been much, much better. And so I don't think he's losing the role barring an injury or something like that. But I do think Charbonnet is good enough to potentially like really cut into things if he gets an opportunity. Yeah, those are good answers. Last question for you. Uh, anytime I have an NFL analyst on or someone that knows football really well, I have to ask my obligatory Bucks question. Is this team for real? I mean, people in Tampa right now are really excited. And uh, obviously that Lions loss was frustrating. But I mean, people were talking about uh, this being a bottom three team in the NFL. Yeah. You know, there was all the tank for Caleb or Drake May type stuff. And then, you know, granted, the schedule has been pretty easy. But what are your thoughts? I mean, the NFC South is just so bad. I feel like maybe there'll be a playoff team by default almost. This Falcons game is pretty, pretty big. What are your thoughts on the Bucks and what you've seen from them so far? Not only from a fantasy standpoint, but just in terms of, you know, is this team for real? Yeah, this Falcons game is huge. I'm really curious how Desmond Ritter will respond to the blitz and just the aggressiveness from Tampa Bay's defense. I think if you guys take this, yeah, like then there's a very real chance that this is a playoff team. And like we laugh because we're surprised, but Baker Mayfield like has been one of the like most pleasant surprises of this season. He looks decisive. He like looks confident. I feel like he's just, he's just playing. Like, yeah, it feels good. And like, man, Mike Evans has really revitalized his career. Like he looks incredible. Um, which, you know, revitalized as if he had a down year. He still had a thousand years last year, but like he's yeah. doing all this stuff that we've seen in the past that's kind of fallen off as his age, like just absolutely dominating man coverage, press coverage, stuff like that is really exciting to see from him, like even at this age. Um, yeah, man. There's no run game, and I worry about the offensive line, but like I, yeah. I think every team in that range, in that division, like has question marks. So I, sure. I feel as good about Tampa Bay as anybody, really. Yeah, the run game's the big question. Uh, I know people in Tampa are calling for a trade or some kind of addition. You know, that's where the Zach Moss rumors, people are hoping that <laughs> happen. But I don't know, man. Uh, I, I'm a Sean Tucker truther because I have him in Dynasty. And I, like, bought all the hype. Like, he would have been a higher pick if he didn't have the health concerns. So right. I came the year hoping that he could eventually take over for Rashad White. But he just hasn't been playing. I'm not sure what he's showing in practice. Uh, it seems like they even have Keyshawn Vaughn ahead of him now, which is kind of crazy. But, yeah, I mean, this team is very fun. I'm happy for Baker. Uh, I've been so impressed with his decision-making and just how elusive he's been. He's been able to get some third and longs with his legs and, you know, keep plays going. And I think he was number one in the league when pressured. Uh, you know, he's been doing a great job, even with people in his face. So I've been very impressed with Baker. And it's a fun team. I mean, last year's team was just so 
frustrating with Byron Leftwich's system. And, uh, you know, every every week it was just impossible to even get a first down pretty much. So it's a lot <laughs> more fun this year as a Bucks fan. But I had to ask. Uh, I appreciate you joining me, man. This has been a lot of fun. You know, it's always great to pick your brain. Where can people find more of your work? Yeah, so you can find my work on sportsline.com. Um, I do some stuff for CBS Fantasy as well each week, um, Fantasy Football Today. I'm on there on Mondays, just breaking down everything that we learned from the previous week in the NFL. Um, and then, yeah, I do lots of lots of advice for fantasy players, for uh, daily fantasy players, if you're into DraftKings, FanDuel, that kind of stuff. Um, we've done really well, and you can find my rankings and all that as well um, on Sportsline. As I said, one of the most accurate rankers does a fantastic job. And if you guys aren't following him on Twitter, you got to change that or X, whatever you want to call it. Uh, his handle's right there, J.A. Gibbs underscore 23. You know, great stats, great analytics. You're going to learn so much just from following him. Uh, so be sure to check that out. And if you guys want to listen to more episodes of Running Up the Score, be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening. You can watch on Twitter. You can watch on YouTube. You can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We have some big guests coming up. Uh, Paolo Bancaro is coming on. Some other players Whoa. will be on in the near future. So that's a fun one. I'm excited about that. Uh, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And thank you to Prize Picks for sponsoring this episode. Until next time, thanks for watching. <laughs>